Last week, legend of the East Anglian agri-food industry, Clark Willis MBE, showed us around the Food Enterprise Park. This week, we're going to take a closer look at the keystone tenant of the park, Condimentum. Coleman's Mustard is the quintessential Norfolk brand. However, when makers Unilever and neighbour Britvik put the Caro Works in Norwich up for sale in 2018, the future of mustard milling in Norfolk was thrown into serious doubt. For a while, there was a risk that Coleman's Mustard would no longer be milled and packed in Norfolk. However, thanks to a foresighted growing community and a multinational consumer goods company willing to take a punt, Coleman's Mustard is still milled and placed into those iconic yellow tins on the Food Enterprise Park here in the east of England. I met with CEO of Condimentum, Dave Martin, to find out more about this extraordinary story. It's really lovely to be here at Condimentum. It is a fantastic facility and I haven't even seen it yet. I already know that for a fact. And we're here with Dave Martin, who's the CEO of Condimentum. Dave, welcome to Eastern Promise. You're an incredibly busy man. Thank you so much for your time. And we're in good company because you've had the BBC coming in, you've had Channel 4 coming in, looking at what you do. Uh, what do you think the draw is, is for these people? Do you know what? I think, I think the, more we, the more we progress with the business, Mike, the more I, I realise that this is, this is a really fascinating story. And, and I think it's also a... Um, it's also quite, given the world events and the disruption globally and, you know, the global marketplace principles are being challenged for the first time. I think, you know, everybody's been uh, talking about, you know, there's only one marketplace now, it's global. And then all of a sudden we have, you know, the ever given issue in, in the Suez Canal and we have container prices, you know, quadrupling um, and, uh, you know, congestion in ports. And I think the model that we have here, which is a, you know, we are a grower backed business. You know, we have the original objective of this business was to, was to allow the growers to move beyond the agricultural expertise that they, they clearly offer to, to, to expand that, to take responsibility for the manufacturing elements and the conversion of products into, into finished product or to semi-finished product. And I think this whole local, you know, the, the local supply chain, this, this what we call in the trade the vertically integrated structure. We have what's effectively a de-risked compressed supply chain, which means that we can talk direct with the growers about the products that we need, the ingredients that we need. They can set aside the land and the acreage that we need to support the demand. So that, that responsiveness and that agility that we uh, we can offer, I think is really becoming really quite interesting. And I'm saying a lot of it is driven by the, the global disruption that, uh, that, we, that we hear about, you know, day in, day out. I mean, one of the things I really find fascinating about Condimentum is, is the story. That, I mean, we're on the food, en the food Enterprise Park just to the southwest of Norwich. And it's a, one of a really exciting places that's, that's growing, no pun intended, at an incredible rate. I went on a, I'm going on a comedy, I'm actually on a comedy, stand-up comedy course at the moment <laughs> to hopefully work the jokes a little better. But, yeah. but what I love about Condimentum is the fantastic story that ostensibly started in something not so great, which is the, the Unilever plant at um, the Carrow Works closing down. But from that, you get a, a huge multinational behaving 
okay in what they see as a rational sense, but not. They follow it up by behaving not like you'd expect them to. Um, tell us the story, because I'm waffling on now, but just tell us how it all came about. Yeah, it's quite an interesting start to this, actually, Mike, because we had, um, I received a call from a, a chairman of mine back, going back to April 2016, and he'd been talking with a chap called Michael Sly. Michael Sly is the chairman of the English Muster Growers. Uh, the English Muster Growers is a cooperative of, of, of growers, uh, 18 strong. So there are 18 English Muster Growers, and they grow a vast majority of, 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 of the total UK uh, mustard production. Um, and... Yes, Michael had this idea. He was keen to protect the future, to, to give the, the growers and the cooperative more of a control of, of their own destiny, effectively. And, and one of the things that he was concerned about is whilst he was you know, very proud of the relationship that they had with this, you know, this brand, this you know, iconic brand of Coleman's, he was also uh, you know, conscious of the fact that it was a single customer. Um, and he was really keen to explore the possibility of uh, investing in a manufacturing facility that, that, as I say, allowed the growers to retain the, the agricultural responsibility, but also to, to absorb uh, the, the manufacturing control, which then would potentially bring in new customers. So beyond Unilever, which would start to, to, to spread the, uh, the, the risk, if you like, in terms of, in terms of a, a supply to, to more than one customer. And I think that idea really excited me. I'm, my background is very much operations. You know, I've spent 30 years, you know, uh, building and running factories. So it, it kind of all come together nicely. So w when I sat about writing a business plan for, for, the, for the idea and then presented it to Michael and the, and the grower groups, we, we all, you know, I can remember the meeting, we all got quite excited about the prospect. But from that point on, it was really about engaging with Unilever and to, um, to, to sell the idea. And, and there was a huge, you know, leap of faith required from, from the Unilever, the brand owners of, of Coleman's at Unilever. It was, it was a pretty significant leap of faith for them because it took a huge amount of trust. And fortunately for, for, for me and, and for the grower groups, there was a significant amount of trust already there based upon generations of, 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 uh, of trading relationship. I mean, the growers, some of the growers' families go back generations in terms of the supply of, of, of the raw material, whether it be mustard seed or fresh mint leaf, into the, um, the Carroll Road facility, the Unilever uh, Coleman's facility just down the road here. So once we realized Unilever were keen and were interested in the possibility of a grower-backed uh, business, and then it was pretty much, you know, about making sure that we, you know, we progress, we 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 maintain the momentum of the project, and and as you say, um, you know, the, the sort of negative news in all this was there was an announcement that Brific intended to exit the site, and it's a huge site, it's a 50-acre site, just uh, within Norwich, and 25 acres was uh, owned by Unilever, the other 25 by Brific, and it was pretty clear then that Unilever couldn't justify maintaining the whole site, the whole 50-acre site, just, just with the Coleman's product. So that, that provided a significant amount of you know, additional momentum to the project to the point where we, it was really quite, quite a fast-track um, 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 opportunity at that point. So what we then did was that we then um, arranged joint project teams uh, between Unilever and the Condimentum team, um, and we, uh, we worked through a, a, a plan together to design the factory, to, um, to agree on the scope of the, whole, the overall project, to agree on the timings of, of uh, to first production, 
and, and, and kind of pretty much everything else is history from there because it was, uh, as I say, it was pretty much a fast track project on the basis that, you know, we had to fit in with their transition to their other factories. So they, they gave us the date that they were going to close the gates and we had to make sure that this brand new state-of-the-art facility that you're sitting in today was up and ready and running uh, for first production to meet the timings of the uh, of the overall Unilever project. So it was quite a, you know, as I say, a, an intense period. Um, but I'd, I'd like to think now that we've we've built something that we're all really proud of. We've got a great team here. Some of the um, some of the the Unilever uh, team have uh, transferred over to Condimentum and had a huge amount of experience and wow. value and talent. Uh, some uh, uh, new recruits to the area. So so we've kind of got a really nice sort of team here, which is, uh, you know, which is really what the most important thing is the team. I mean, it's lovely to see the facility and all of the state-of-the-art state equipment, but the bottom line is the success that we're seeing today is largely down to the great team that we've got here. With you, yourself, in a leadership role, obviously you and I have come from a similar part of the country, separated only by the East Lanks Road. Yeah. <laughs> um, what brings you... I mean, you, you talked about how Michael Sly got in touch with you, and, and obviously he, he, he knew the right man to call. Tell us a bit about your background and, and what it was that you saw in this project. Yeah, I mean, my, my background is very much um, operations. I've, I, I love factory environments. I've, I've been in the, in the food, food industry now for over 30 years. Um, I've worked in the UK and abroad. And, you know, I've worked on some pretty exciting projects and also for some, some pretty impressive companies here, blue chip companies. Um, and when Michael first approached me about this and, and I started to, uh, to write the business plan, um, as I say, I got more and more excited about the possibility of what we could build here. Um, I, I was you know, really taken aback by how much support we had locally to retrain Coleman's of Norwich. I mean, it would have been, you know, it just is, is not right to think that the Coleman's of Norwich, you know, could, could be made anywhere else other than Norfolk. So we had a huge amount of, of, of local support and, and, and emotional support to, to the project. And... Um, and I just think that this is, you know, this is one of only three super fine mustard mills in the world. I mean, I, I've, I've, a lot of my background is in milling. I spent 15 years with a company called Quaker Oats. Uh, so I, I, I thought at the time I knew a bit about milling and tips, but, you know, wheat and, and uh, wheat and oats milling is very <laughs> different to mustard milling. And, and I kind of realised that now. But at the time when Unilever said, you know, we'd like you to build a, a, a super fine mill, um, we, we didn't have many reference points because mustard milling is, is very niche. It's a, it's, a, it's a product that has a really high oil content. So it'll be over 40% oil. And compare that to the oil content of wheat at 4 or 5% and the oil content of, of, of oats at, say, 8 or 9%. That means that the, 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 the milling of, of this product is, is really quite specialised. And I couldn't at the time figure out why there were only two other super fine mustard mills globally. There is one in North Dakota and there's another one in Ontario and Canada. And, um, and, I, and I, I can tell you now, I, I fully understand why they're only two. It's, it is, without trying to overcomplicate the, uh, the process, it, it's, it's quite a difficult thing. We've got to, from a very small mustard seed, we've got to try and extract around about 82% of flour from that seed. So we remove the other 18% is effectively the bran, the husk, that we that we that we remove as part of the milling process, um, but it was a fascinating challenge. One to to build this uh, the super fine mill. When I thought at the time, well, 
you know, I know this is a, a this is a specific milling process, but why don't Unilever just invest in a simple grinding process? A simple a simple grinding mill would have been a tenth of the price for the start, and, <laughs> and it's significantly less complex. And 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 it was it became clear after discussions and meetings with Unilever that the superfine process delivers the taste and the texture, which is synonymous with the Coleman's. Um, the Coleman's product. I mean, it's it's this pungency, it's this heat that's generated from this superfine flour, which is which makes the Coleman's product pretty unique. And I, I kind of technically understand now that the finer the flour, the finer the particle size, the the more of this enzyme is released. There's an enzyme called myrosinase. The more that's released, the more pungency, the more heat that's delivered in in the product. So. The superfine process that we have here, which is the only one in Europe, uh, which we're really quite proud of, delivers that unique texture and taste that is, as I say, synonymous with Coleman's mustard. And um, and I felt that was a real challenge. As I say my my background is very much food, its operations. Um, I, I say a, a lot in milling, but this was going to be a challenge that uh, that I was I was really you know looking forward to and excited about. Um, we, we had within the scope of the overall project the need to make mint sauce. And some of the volumes here that we're producing are also pretty exciting. I mean, we'll produce, we'll process around 2,000 tonnes of mustard seed every year. We produce just short of 2,000 tonnes of, um, of, uh, of mint sauce solution, which is, uh, which is again sourced locally from the mint farms, uh, just uh, no more than an hour away or so. So I think the whole um, the whole project, the scope of it, the involvement with the growers, that all together, Mike, was was really quite exciting for yeah. me. And you know, I I was at the time of the call from uh, you know from Michael Sly was was living in Berkshire, and um, I you know brought my wife up to uh, to Norfolk as uh, one day when I was had some meetings at Unilever. And she spent the whole day walking around the city. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, I, you know, we we met at the Maidshead Hotel, and and uh, and she said, "We've we've got to move here." I mean, there's a there's a fantastic vibe within Norwich. Um, yeah. And uh, and and again, the, the the project itself was always going to be a long term project for me. And um, I've signed up to a you know a a, a, a quite a significant uh, contract that, that will keep me in Norfolk for a very long time. And I'm very happy with that as well because it's a it's a beautiful place to live, but it's also the opportunity that we have here to significantly grow this business. And we've acquired five acres overall. This yeah. this site that you're sitting on now is three acres, and we have the opportunity to expand. So we've really built this operation with future proofing in mind. So we really would like to 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 grow beyond where we are today. And we see that the opportunities, certainly in the short and medium term, are, are there for us to do that. I think, the, 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 you know, when I've heard American interviews, there's a phrase and they, they go, boom, there it is. Yeah. And I can't carry it off, but there we go. Okay, so. Right, we're standing outside. We're looking at the condimentum plant. We've got the, the 60, 60 foot, did you say? Yes, it's 60. 60 foot uh, milling tower to our left. Tell us more, Dave, where are, we, where are we heading first? Right, okay, it's probably best just to take you through the flow of ingredients. As we receive the ingredients in from the farm, you've, in fact, fortunately, you can see a, a vehicle already here that is bringing in around about 25,000 kilos of mustard seed. So the truck will um, pull into the weigh bridge. It will then reverse into what we call the intake 
um, uh, the intake building. From there, the 25,000 kilos of mustard seed are then elevated through to one of three silos. It's go, it either goes into a white mustard seed silo, a brown mustard seed silo, or a Canadian mustard seed silo. Right. From there, what's really important about the milling process is the, the moisture control. So when it comes in off the farmer's field, it's around about 9% moisture. From there, we need to, to, to dry the mustard seed down to around about 3% moisture. And we do that by that huge unit there. That looks, that's a drying unit. So we'll dry the product down to 3%. That's the optimum moisture level to extract the maximum amount of flour from the seed. Right. Once it's been dried, it goes into the mill building and that's really where the magic happens. That's what I'll take you through in a second. So Absolutely. Once the, the product has been milled into a super fine flour, it then comes into this part of the building here, which is a uh, blending and packing, um, a blending and packing building. And then it's packed off to be sent off to uh, the customer, whether it be Unilever or any of our other customers yeah. at that point. Brilliant. Shall we go inside? Crack on. Yeah, sure. Well, you were the first tenant on the Food Enterprise Park, which is, which, which is where we are. And at the moment, I'm, this is going to make me sound very, more, far more intellectual than I am, but I'm reading a book on um, uh, an American economics professor who's looking into her T-shirt, basically. She was challenged by one of her students, who makes your T-shirts, eh? eh? So she said, well, I'll find out then. And, she, and the part of the book I'm on at the moment is when she's gone out to Texas to look at the cotton farmers out there in West Texas. And she's describing the virtuous circle drawing a circle with my hands, you can't see that, but um, a virtuous circle between the actual growers, the US Department of Agriculture, the, Tex the, the Texan, um, Texas Tech, the Texan universities yeah. and yeah. colleges and you know, local tech innovators to actually make the market work for them and you know, really make themselves the, the, the hub of the global cotton industry. Um, how, you've got. I know that John Innes had a lot to do with sort of saving, saving. You know, the, one of the brands of mustard seeds. I don't know if that's they. They did actually. Yeah, in the early, yep. early 21st yep. century, yep. Um, when that was sort of the yields were really dropping. But how how has that been for you so far? With you got the research park and John Innes and here and and how do you see it developing in the future? Because it, it, to me, it's a really exciting, um, you know, it's a really exciting set of ingredients there. Uh, that's a very good question, actually, Mike, because I, um, I believe that we have a huge opportunity to, uh, to become a, a proper centre of excellence globally for mustard and condiments generally. I mean, we, we've already, um, they're actually, believe it or not, our mustard sommeliers. I mean, we, we feel we need to, that absolutely is true. I and mean, we're, we're, we're potentially investigating the, you know, the possibility of, of our own. So we want to do, we want to be the go-to centre of excellence for all things mustard. There's lots of varieties of mustard. There's lots of potential uses as a, um, it's a high protein, high fibre ingredient. Um, that has, uh, you know, say, huge potential uses. We're already talking to a bakery company now about the use of mustard as a potential antifungal shelf life extender. So it's a natural rather than a synthetic shelf life extender. Um, we we believe it's it's good in, as I say in terms of you know potential replacement for, for meat proteins. So we, we're investigating other uses. There is a possibility that we can. We can the, the the enzyme I talked to you about before. Yes, I was going to ask we, you about the we enzyme. We can we can take that we can 
potentially knock out that myrosinase, which delivers that heat and that pungency and that really strong mustard taste. And we can turn mustard flour into a high-protein, gluten-free, functional flour. Yeah. I mean, that is quite a, an exciting opportunity. So we do believe that we've got, you know, lots of opportunities to, to, to develop markets that, that currently do not exist today in, in mustard. And I think, you know, you mentioned before about the, the, the John Innes Centre. We have a fantastic opportunity with the Research Centre literally five minutes down the road to really start to develop this on a collaborative basis. There is a huge amount of strength and depth from a scientific a scientific perspective, we're, we're just you know with it within that research centre, so we want to tap into that. I mean, we're we're delighted that we look we're looking to to grow organically as as as, as a business with you know with the opportunities that are, are coming about from, uh, from 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 new markets beyond the UK. However, the 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 range of uses that we believe that is a significant opportunity. So the idea of you know we 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 have a separate dedicated work stream group within Condimentum right. focused on on all all things around researching um, uh, mustard and again it's something that we believe we will become the center of excellence we'd like uh, 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 to build an innovation center on this site where you know you know we can we can walk in we can take every uh, different variety of, of mustard around the world. We can look at it in, in its different forms, and we can and we can start to have a a product development lab within within that innovation centre. And that, that's something that we really are keen to make sure we exploit because we believe that opportunity is is pretty significant. You. So you can see here, um, already the team have, have started to engage in what we call sensory analysis. We're, we're uh, the team are tasting. Uh, various samples of of mustard for mm -hmm. the relative product attributes. It could be it could be colour, could be pungency, heat. Wow! Um, and uh, again, they will they will score this on a on a sheet in terms of sensory analysis. So this gives us a good profile yeah. of uh, of all of the relevant product attributes. Wow. Good morning. Hello. Hi. This is the Eastern Promise team. We're just in the podcast now. So Kezia is our Head of technical, Hi, nice so she's responsible for all of the the, the quality and the, <laughs> the product quality, and, and actually Simon is our head of sales, Hello, so he's yes. the guy that's bringing in all this new customer to my Excellent. So yeah, so we just say you're, still, you're finishing off the sensory analysis now. Yeah, yeah, we've got some samples to taste. Yeah. I'm just doing a sensory test just to see yeah. where you know how they compare to one batch to another with different you know, flavour profiles and consistency yeah. and uh, yeah, how thick they are as well. Trained sensory panellist. There you so go. There <laughs> Lovely to meet you. Would yeah. You too, take it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, we're, we're going to show you how this is made, but effectively each one of these containers contains around about a thousand litres of mint sauce. So there's something like 2,000 tonnes of mint sauce. It is a wall of, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of, I mean, I, you'll know the technical name for these containers, I don't. But you see them on farms and things. These yeah. giant sort of industrial liquid containers in steel cages, and there's a wall, three containers high, and I wouldn't even want to count how many <laughs> wide of mint sauce. Yeah, like I said, it's it's, it's like a, it's like a lamb's worst nightmare. This. It's, <laughs> That's one way of putting it. I yeah, think, right? yeah. and the smell is incredible. It's beautiful. I yeah, mean, it's a it's a nice smell, Mike, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I suspect it is when you're passing through. I don't know how you feel about it day in, day out. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? Nobody really complains. Nobody complains. Even the operators, good. Yeah. good. So if we stand here, this is where the, in a second or so, you can see the Coleman's mint trailer just here. So ah. that will come in from the farm. 
He will reverse onto this, what we call moving bed. Reverses on, opens the, the, the back doors and the mint will flow onto the moving bed and then go into the mint process, yeah. which is, we're just about to walk through in a second. So again, we processed mint at around about 1.7 tons per hour. We'll pr wow. process mint sauce at around about 1.7 tons per hour. And, and over the season, because mint only grows between the end of May and the, and the end of September, we'll compress the whole year's supply from the end of May into September. That's why there's such a significant volume of mint sauce yeah. behind you here on the basis that we process all of that in sort of 16 or 17 weeks. Wow, that is quite a feat. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so should we walk into the process and we'll see how mint sauce is, is made? This is probably the nausiest process, to be yes. honest. It's a... There's all these people standing around, sort of, sort of looking at the fingertips. Yeah. Okay, so can you hear me okay? Yeah. So what happens is when the trailer comes in, reverses into the intake pit, the product, the fresh mint leaf, will come onto this inspection conveyor. From there, any stems that may accidentally come in from the farmer's field are removed at this stage. The product then will, once the stems have been removed, will go up into a washing, what we call yeah. a flume washer. And the flume washer will bring the fresh mint leaf under the water around about 14 times. This washes the sand and the soil that may have come in from the farmer's field off the leaf. Anything that also come in, like let's say floating debris and maybe an insect, you can see the unit on the top is a dynamic insect removal unit. So it pushes the mint leaf under the floor, any floating debris is taken away into waste. So from there, once the fresh mint leaf is all washed and clean, we then put it through a mangle system. So what we call a dewatering device, where we try and remove, we try and remove any of the residual water from the surface of the leaf before it goes into the mill. The fresh ah. mint leaf is then milled down to about 1.8 millimeter fraction size. Wow. So the whole leaf is milled to about 1.8 millimeters, which is the size that you will see in a mint sauce jar. Yeah. We then, if I could just take it to the washer just so you can see yeah. what happens Let's there. See. So you can see the flume washer it started to wash the dirty water yes. of, uh, of, away from the, uh, all of the sand and soil away from the mint leaf. And you can see that dynamic insect removal device pushing the, uh, the leaf under the water and removing any floating debris. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and you can see, I mean, for, for listeners at home, there's just this torrent of mint leaf. So, oh. so this is the mint leaf that will be milled to two millimetres when it goes through that milling unit there. Yeah. Okay, so from there, of green mint leaf coming sorry, in and being pressed under the pressed under by the machine. Yeah. It's incredible. So here you can see the milk. Yeah. So it's all chopped at that point. It then goes into an ambient tank of vinegar, water, we add salt, we then stir it so it's got a homogeneous mix. Then it goes through to the cookers, so it's pumped to either cooker one or cooker two where we'll cook it to about 85 degrees centigrade and then we'll retain that temperature as part of a mini pasteurization process but also that cooking process adds to the texture of the product so the texture it helps absorb the brine at that point yeah once it's been cooked 
It will then go through a metal detector and into what we call an IPC. This is an intermediate full container, the, the plastic 1,000 litre vessels that you saw outside. Yeah. So once it's being cooked, it goes into here, and then the chaps will store it on the concrete and outside, and it needs to mature for four months. Yes. So we leave it to mature for four months before it's able to be packed up into a jar. What surprises me about this is how actually compact the operation feels, because this is, we're in a room that is about, you know, it's about the size, probably slightly smaller than a school sports hall. And it just feels, the amount of product you produce, and you know, it's it's such such a compact operation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, I, I think this is a, again, this was something, it's a very bespoke design to ourselves. We, uh, we, we took the Unilever specification, the Unilever product, and we said we had to match that famous Coleman's mint sauce. So this kit that you see here is real state-of-the-art kit, which gives us that capability to, 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 to mill the product down to whatever fraction size we need, to blend it with whatever range of ingredients. So we do have quite a bit of flexibility and capacity within this yeah. process, Mike. Fantastic. Yeah. It's amazing, it really yeah. is. There's so much good stuff going on on a global level in the region, but we just don't tell ourselves. We don't tell those stories internally. Do you find that? And, and, and if you do, what's, what's, what do you think the remedy is? It, it's, I, I, it's, a, it's a good point, actually. I, I, I'm not sure there's any, any sort of you know, simple sort of magic wand solution to trying to solve it. I do think that the, the, um, the idea of a, 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 collaborative, a collaborative strategy or approach now, because of what's happening globally, I mentioned before, I do think there's, there's more justification now for you know, ensuring that we tap into that local, um, that local skill, base, skill base and knowledge base on a more collaborative basis. I'm, I, I, I recently, I think you 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 attended the uh, you know the Hethel Engineering. I did indeed. You know, and, that, and that was quite. That, I really enjoyed that because mm. it was kind of local businesses. You know, were interested in the in the story. I, I was there with Mike, the brewer, and you know he was talking about you know his journey and and I think the more we do that sort of thing, I, I think we need to take time out to be able to share these experiences. Um, you know, from that you know meeting at the end of you know when I was kind of wrapping up the the the, uh, the PC and the, the you know the, um, the the microphone there was a, a a lady that came over to talk to us about um, I'd mentioned about the byproduct that we generate from naturally from the mustard mill yeah and interestingly she came along and said that uh, you know she was involved in an innovative business that uh, that used the the bio byproduct waste to make cutlery, which, um, which I thought was yes. fantastically interesting. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's those sorts of things. And we, we've, you know, we've now made contact, uh, you know, formally. Um, we, you know, we do, we're going we're gonna to progress to, you know, hopefully some, some, some trialling. We, we don't know whether this material will, will compact sufficiently to make, you know, to provide the robustness. But, yeah. but nevertheless, it's that opportunity, Mike, that, yeah, uh, exactly. that comes about from those, those events. So now we're just entering the mill here. So this is the mill start. Yes. So we're going to walk up the floors. Wow. So you just can tell uh, it's all going on above you, can't you? <laughs> all these pipes coming down at various angles. And uh, you can see what's, what's going up in the... We can see things shooting through the, these tubes. Yes, so this is the, the mustard seed and the mustard flower. We basically... Hi, Ian. Hello. Are we OK to, to go yeah. up just for... 
We're just going to do a, a walk. This is my permission, promise. We're just Hello. doing a quick podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which one is that on the shifter floor? On the floor. Don't worry about it. I'm sort of Right, okay. Well, we'll go up into the shifter floor first, shall we? Yeah, yeah. You don't wear it if you like, but just a little part of the. Fine. That's fine. Yeah, okay. Fine, fine. All right, good. Yeah, so what we do is we um, we trans we transfer all of the seed and the flour from the basement floor up to the top floor yeah. by pneumatics. So we pull in through these towels here, we pull in around about 6,000 cubic meters of air that transfer pneumatically the seed or the flour from each floor. Because the whole point of milling is all about recirculation. So as we mill the product, the seed has to be shaved down to a super fine to extract the flour yeah. we do that on a gradual basis we've got 10 sets of rollers that each set with a slightly different setting in terms of tolerance and it will shave some of the bran off each time it goes through and then we'll have a huge sieving system which sieves and depending on the particle size the sieve system will determine which roller stand yeah. to send the product to so we'll walk through now and you'll see that in action actually is when the seed comes in I mentioned before on the other side of that wall is the dryer and the silos it will dry the seed down to three percent and then we'll send it to one of these three silos yeah once it comes in we need to clean it so we need to remove any chaff or we need to remove um, any small seed so any contaminants so black seed needs to be removed so what we do is we take out all of the contaminants mechanically first on the floor above, then we do it optically. So this is what's called an optical scanner. And effectively this unit here will scan 8 million seeds per minute. Any black seed that is in the seed will be blown out by a, a small jet of air. Yeah. Now what happens invariably when you blow that black seed out, you catch three or four good seeds at the same time. Yeah. So this third channel is what we call a refeed channel. So all of the blowouts give a second chance of recovering some of the good seed. So basically, so you've got we've got this fantastic touchscreen-powered machine here in front of us that you're just describing, which I could I wish I could hear better what you're saying, but <laughs> we'll get it on the on thing. And uh, uh, Manchester 1878, yes. um, <laughs> Henry Simon, and. Um, uh, I don't know why I expected these to be so much bigger than they are, but it does, it, again, it's extreme, very, very modern, very compact, um, and really, you know, a world away from, you know, the, the, the world of milling. Certainly, Jeremiah Coleman, 200 years ago, would have milled very differently to this. Yes, I bet he would. In terms of the stone mills. Yeah, you know, grindstones. Yeah, the grinding, yeah. But again, this is a super piece of kit that does allow us to um, it does allow us to, this will start any in a, in a couple of seconds or so, but effectively, the only reason it's stopped now is it's filled ahead of it. But in a couple yeah. of minutes or so, this will start. 
and you can see how quickly each one of these cameras, there's a series of cameras here yeah. that, that will blow out that black seed. You can see some of the black seed in here. Yes. And then the rejects have come through here. So we'll show you some of the reject product. But it's critically important that what we send to the roller stands is pure, clean, mustard yeah. seed. Yeah. And these roller stands here, So effectively, that's the whole seed yeah. that will go through a fluted roller and effectively. Wow. And all we're doing is we're just cracking the seed. So that's not flour at this stage. We're just cracking the it's whole seed it. just to allow it to go through the other processes to extract that flour that we talked about. But that's what called first break, so it's what our first break of seed, yes, a, very coarse, chaos the gene, yeah. a very coarse break of the seed, then it goes along, as you can see we're starting at this point to get to a finer flower, yeah. this is called reduction roller two, so we go through five reduction rollers, Wow. and each time we do that it gets slightly yeah. finer, again we're not there yet, no. that's still quite coarse, but then you can see at the bottom here, it's starting to get finer yeah, now, it's, it's not quite there it's yet. It's not what you'd recognise as mustard flour, but you can tell that it's getting there. It's not, yeah, it's very far away from sort of the still bits of the That's seed. That's right, yeah, it's still quite gritty at this exactly, point. This is nice and cool and also nice and quiet, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so we're, this we're is in the control room, aren't we, really? This is the start of the process. I took you outside. The three silos, the white, English, brown, English, and Canadian brown, yep. we're on the three silos outside. Yeah. It then goes through the drying process. So I mentioned about the dryer, dries it down to 3%. Then it comes in once it's dried ready to be milled into these three silos here. So yep. this is the dried product. So uh, just, just for the listener, the, the, we, we, there's a bank of screens uh, in front of us in which, uh, as, as Dave is just pointing out, you know, in, in, in very clear and, and easy to follow for a layman like me terms, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the various silos and the bins that are, are coming in to be milled. And as I say, you've, you've really, the, the investment here is palpable. It really is. Um, and, the, the pride that the workforce taken here is, is, is again palpable well, because really yeah, nice I've not, hear, not no one and, and, and it's easy to say this and it sounds trite but no one has walked through without a grid yeah literally no one's walked through <laughs> really I mean, nice saying the way I look. Um, yeah. but no one's walked through without without a grin yeah. and uh, you know it's 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 just fantastic that we've got a facility like this here you know as, as, as the anchor tenant on the on the food enterprise park as well so close to you know a burgeoning sector that is so exciting i think uh it's, it's amazing and you've got all these all these say you, i'm trying to contextualize the size for people because yeah. i think most most if you're not in the business then most people would think of milling as grindstones so yeah. you know two grindstones right, together. Yeah, and it's yeah. not a bit of that at all it's i mean i'm, I'm trying to what would you say the size of the machine is, roughly each, each roller? I mean, well, it's, it's a, it's a 1.2 a meter roll, but it's actually round about 1.6 meters wide, 
by around about a meter deep. And we have five sets of those. Yeah. So, and each one of those has two sets of reciprocating rollers. So effectively, whilst there's only five units you can see here, yeah. there's 10 sets of reduction rollers. Yeah. So you can see how gradual that process is to yes. shave the bran off in a very gradual way to remove the bran, the husk, and leave the cotyledon, which is what we call the, the, the pure flower. Once we've extracted the pure flower, and a lot of the magic is actually done on the floor above, which you'll see, which is a big vibrating room that you'll see, which, <laughs> which actually determines, it's a, it's a 208 very fine sieves, yeah. and that will determine which roller stand or which yeah. mill to send the product to, depending on the particulate size. Yeah. So, so it, you'll see that in a second. They look like machines, and this is my ignorance showing, but for all the world, they look like woodworking machines. That's, they do, absolutely, um, a good point, actually. Yeah, they and do. Because yeah. I, I, uh, I used to write for a furniture magazine about 20 years ago, yeah. and uh, I used to go out to shows in like, the land, I used to go to these glamorous cities and look at uh, machines for making chair legs. And uh, it looks a lot like a lot of the machines we were showing out there, but uh, yeah, you know, you can see the mustard. You see the mustard sort of say starting a seed and going down and down and down through each each yeah. iteration. So yeah. brilliant. Okay, so that's the that's the, so the whole process right the way through to finished product. So we mentioned about the Dabins once it's in there. That's the first stage. The second stage is to go through the roller stands here that we just talked about, um, and then once we've done that, it then goes off to either be blended between white and brown, different varieties of mustard that goes through a blending system here, and then into either packing off in those huge bags that you saw outside, or the, the topins, the aluminium topins, yeah. which takes. So that's the whole milling process on the three skeins there. Brilliant, fantastic. Those units that you can hear, they're vibrators, again, because of that oil content, the vibrators on each of the up, upstand right. pipes vibrate to stop any build-up of the product in the pipes. Okay. Oh, my goodness, mate. It's like a fairground ride. So, <laughs> so this unit is each door, four doors. Yeah. Behind each door, there is 26 sieves. So we have four sections here, four sections on the other side. Yeah. Eight sections times 26 sieves. We have 208 sieves, about this size here. Ah, that's what they were. So what will happen is yeah. the product comes from the ceiling upstairs into the section here. It will then be vibrated round through a very fine mesh. Yeah. And each one of these sieves is a different mesh size. Yeah. And that will determine which roller stands, depending on the size of the particulate, to send the product to. Right. So this is a critical piece of the, the whole process, Mike. Yes, and you've got like a stack of, of these various different sized sieves here, which look, look for all the world like uh, um, tile, you know, sort of sheets of, you're kind of uh, cheating at tiles when you put them on the floor. <laughs> but there's, yeah, it's like a, if I could just describe it, it looks to me, as with my uneducated eye, it's like a kind of a, a container crate you put on a, a cargo planes with four, as, as Dave says, four doors, and you, you just imagine uh, behind which there's it's sort of vibrating back to, in, in like a circle, and you imagine that when it stops, you're going to get four dizzy teenagers falling out giggling, because it's, it looks like it's something you see in the fairground, but wow, I mean, to get that level of fineness, that, yeah. it's, it's quite, a, quite the challenge, but... It's, 
it is a challenge. Yeah. To try and get the right ship profile, we were knee deep in mustard bar for about six months. Yes. I can tell you that has been a real challenge to get the right sibbing profiles between the 208 sibs, the number of configurations that we tried before That's we got the sibbing. I mean, yeah. God knows how you did it. <laughs> okay, so this is the top four. Again, on the other side, the silos, the dryer, it dries, it comes into one of these three bins here, which is the 3% moisture. From here, the product will come up through this elevator, go through the mechanical cleaning system, the optical cleaning system, and then it's into the milling, which is the sieving and the rollers. What you can see behind you here is a set of cyclones. Everything is moved pneumatically. We use air to transfer and transport all of the seed and all of the flour. So the, the air is pushed through, the seed comes through, and again, depending on the particle size, that will determine which section of the sifter to send the product to. But these cyclones here are pretty important pieces of kit because nobody else, the other two mills, they move all of their seed and flour around mechanically with an elevator. This is a much cleaner way to transfer. Again, it's a technology that has really helped us from the start to be honest. Those two bins there you can see is once the, uh, the sifter and the roller stands have done their job, the finished super fine flour will either be put in the yellow flour mustard bin or the brown flour mustard bin yeah. ready for pack off. Right. And those bins go all the way down to the ground floor. Right, yeah. This is the packing hall. So this is where, on the other side of the wall here, we'll have the mill. So the mill, the superfine flour is milled in the tower. It comes through the wall here, and then the product is packed off into tins, various formats of tins, in this, what we call this packing hall. Yeah. So we can take you through the, um, the process flow, Absolutely. if you like. So this is the first part of the packing process, where the, uh, the tins are Yellow, relayed yeah. by a, a robot. So yeah. the robot will pick up a whole layer, so what happens is once the tins are fed onto the line, they're then inverted and yep. a jet of air is blown out just in case anything got inside the tin. They will then go along underneath these filler heads. The filler heads will fill the product into, again, whichever format, anything from a 57 gram tin all the way to two kilos. Yep. It then goes through a, <clears throat> it then goes through a check wire system where we check the weights of individual tins it will then go through an automatic capping machine. Nigel will have this going in the next few minutes or so, so you can see it in operation. Yeah. yeah, that's good, that's a good idea. And then we'll, uh, we'll go through the automatic capping machine. Yep. From the capping machine, the uh, tamper-evident label is applied, it's packed into trays, and then it's put through a, a shrink tunnel where the shrink wrap is applied, and then it's palletized. So it's a relatively yeah. simple operation. Yeah, very, I mean, it's, it's, li it's literally sort of round in, a, in a, like an oval shape, Yes. it's done. Really, so it's good space saving, good utilisation. Now we're coming out. It's like the sort of thing that, just to just to contextualise it, it looks like an industrial uh, luggage scanner from an airport. Yeah, that's right. It but is. it's it's coming out. You know, the individual tins get filled, and they're coming out in pallets of what? Let me think. Trays, trays of trays of twelve. Yeah. Yeah, in, in, in packs of twelve, and those are the small tins you can get in in the supermarket. In the supermarket, yeah. that's absolutely right. So, um, and how does the process differ for the larger ones? Does it? So, Yes, he does. He fills here for the larger for the larger uh, units. So basically, what would happen is you would change the line with all the different guide rails and yeah, the different widen. filler. 
So basically, he can do all formats. We do anything from a 57 gram tin. This happens to be a four ounce, 113 grams. Then we do a pound tin for the US mainly, which is a, uh, a, a business to business format. And then the big two kilo one, which tends to go against the US or China. Right, okay. And, and you can see that the rails are quite easily adjustable out to actually. accommodate the larger Just ones. Just to put that into perspective, Mike, yeah. it takes around about an hour to change from this format to say a two kilo. Yeah, so you, you, you need to sort of, you need to sort of program your processes carefully in terms of scheduling when you're going to run which. Absolutely right, yeah. So the forecasting is quite important. And again, the changing of the, uh, the check wire, there's a metal detector upstairs. So what will happen is when the, when the product comes out of the mill, the product, the super fine flour is packed into these huge um, aluminium containers here. You can see 46 yeah. and nine, they're called, we call them topings. What Nigel will do is take the topin over to this infeed here, and you can see it's at 45 degrees. Yes. The product then will come out the topin, up a screw feed, up to the platform above us. It yep. will then go through a metal detector into the filling heads and then into the tin. So that's the sort of feed process that we, yeah. that we have. Can I, just for a second, just give you a, give you a perspective on, 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 on how, how the world has changed. A lot of what we've done here is, is good management. I'd like to think so. But I think we've, we're also, we, we've had a lot of good luck as well in, in terms of, uh, you know, globally, um, the, 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 the biggest producer and exporter of, of, of mustard, let's you know, start with, with mustard, is, is, the, is, is Canada. Canada produce around about 150 to 160,000 tonnes of mustard seed, which they export not just to the US, but also to, to, to Europe. Uh, so they're by far and away the, you know, the biggest exporter. Um, just to put that into perspective, we'll, we'll process around 5,000 tonnes a year in the UK. Mm. So the UK imports quite a significant sum, uh, volume of, 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 of mustard seed from Canada. Believe it or not, the next biggest European exporter is uh, the Ukraine and Russia. Now, you know, it's mm. unfortunate about what's happening there. Yes. H however, um, the, the Canadian crop in 2021 virtually failed. So they, they just produced just less than 50,000 tonnes, so about a third of their normal production, which meant they completely used up all of the carryover stock that they had from the previous year. Um, because of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, it's very difficult to get the mustard seed out of those regions. Um, so so we, we've had, um, I, I've had discussions direct with the grower groups, with the cooperatives, saying we need to double the acreage. We need, we need, to, we, we need at least an extra thousand acres of mustard land for uh, 2023 and 2024 production. Yeah. Um, now, the, the great thing about the grower groups is, is you know, this is this agility I mentioned before, Mike, which is our ability to go direct to that team, to talk about what our needs are. You know, we did say we intended always to grow together. I'm not sure the growers expected such a dramatic <laughs> request and condimentum. However, they have done a fantastic job of, of widening the net to, to farmers beyond, you know, the sort of Peterborough, Fens Corridor region into Lincolnshire and Norfolk. And, and, and now we've, you know, they, they, you know good enough, they, 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 um, the English Mustard Growers Board have managed to secure a pretty significant additional acreage. So, so that's kind of the, the short term, the short term, the, the short term opportunity that exists. And I don't like to talk, you know, use the word opportunity 
and, and, and the sort of Russia-Ukraine conflict. The fact is, it is what it is. The, yeah, you, you something, can't. you know, we, you, the, the, the gap has to be plugged. And I think if we can, if we can bring on these, we've had some fairly, you know, blue chip, big blue chip organisations. Uh, we've engaged with these. And, and what they like about this model, as I mentioned before, is, is this really simple supply chain. Is this, this business that is owned by the farmers that has this direct link from the farm into, into, the, into the manufacturing facility and out to the customer. It's a really simple supply chain model. That's extremely attractive. Gone are the days when these companies, you know, come in and really start putting pressure on reducing the cost per tonne by, you know, £10 or £20. It's all about de-risking now. Yeah. The procurement professionals that come into this room are very much about how do we, how do we engage on a de-risk basis. So how do we provide the, the supply of the ingredients that they need but again, provide the security and the service into, in, into those companies. So there's a very different dialogue now that takes place between you know, manufacturers like ourselves um, and farmers and, and the, the end user, the, the end customers. Yeah. So, so we would like to think that this opportunity that we've got now to engage with these, these bigger blue chip multinationals, we can show them a facility that is state-of-the-art. I mean, I mentioned about the two other superfine mills. Uh, you know, they were built, one was built 42 years ago, the other one was built 45 years ago. So this is a brand new state-of-the-art building. The superfine mill is effectively a, um, the traditional gravity-fed milling principle still exists today. You know, we, we, we do it in a state-of-the-art way, in a state-of-the-art process way, but all of the principles of traditional gravity-fed milling exist yeah. In, in, the, uh, in the facility we have on this site. And I think we have an opportunity now to, to grow that volume pretty significantly, well beyond our original plans to grow our business uh, due, to, due to global marketplace um, um, issues that have, that, have, that have come about in the last couple of years. The other thing that we're conscious of is, you know, we have, it's still a pretty limited range of, of ingredients that we offer. You know, let's, let's be honest, we, we, we offer, various you know products around uh, around um, what we call the, the dry foods which is you know, mustard in in terms of flour we can do a, a whole seed we can do what's called a crack seed which has a different uh, a different functional contribution to making certain products but it's pretty limited because the other thing we have is the fresh mint leaf comes in we blend the fresh mint leaf with vinegar and salt and water and we cook it and we and we make what I think is the best mint sauce, you know, the Coleman's mint sauce, I actually believe genuinely that it's, it's light years ahead of anything else on the marketplace. However, as I say, it's a pretty limited range. We're just about to invest a significant sum of money to provide us with the ability to make um, not just dry products, but wet mustard. So Dijon mustard, French mustard, whole grain mustard. Um, so that's going to that's going to broaden our range of processing capability, yeah. which will bring in new market opportunities. There's lots of customers out there, and tends, it tends to be we're, we're more focused on a business-to-business -business arrangement here. So it's not end consumer. We don't. We're never going to process into into you know one, two, five gram jars. It's going to be more bulk units yeah. for other customers to use in in their own products. But we recognise there's a lot of customers out there that. that that need the mustard paste. So, like, give you an example: green core sandwiches. Say, for instance, you know they make millions of sandwiches every week, but they, but they would need the product in its finished form. Yeah. So, you know that that may be an opportunity. So, we're about to invest in, in that process. Um, 
but equally we recognize that there are other possible processes that we would like to potentially progress into now i can't I can't share with you the details of that yet, <laughs> no, that's but, fine. But, but we really do have the the, the the great the great thing about the condimentum, uh, you know, board and and the grower groups, the grower contingent within that board, is that there's a huge appetite for investment here. You know, we've we've we have an option on this on the two acres of land to to, to, to expand our facility into two more acres, which would give us a significant increase in footprint. But we do have a, a huge appetite to invest in new capability going forward. And I, I, as I say, it'd be nice if we could get together again in maybe 12 months time and I can share with you oh, in more nice. detail what that, that the investment plan looks like. But it's pretty exciting, I can tell you now, Mike. That was just a fraction of the full unabridged tour of Condimentum. And you can hear the full version by going to the Eastern Promise feed on your preferred podcast provider and looking up Condimentum full version which will drop at the same time as the main omnibus edition. It was an honour to be shown around the Condimentum plant, which should be a source of great pride for the region. Whilst it is based near Norwich, produce from across the east of England is brought here to be milled. Thank you to Dave Martin for his time and to the Condimentum family for the warm welcome. <laughs>